First of all, as most of you may know, the chief rabbi of Israel has declared today, Wednesday, as a day of fasting, as a day of prayer, saying to Helim, to try to somehow alleviate the very difficult situations going on in the state of Israel. So certainly in Hillel, as well as in uh, many shuls, there is uh, a feeling that through the fasting and teshuvah and through the prayers that God will help us, will save us from the situation. As you know, every single day something's going on, every single day. Every single day we're having more and more deaths in the state of Israel and it's a very crisis-like situation. So that's why we're not serving lunch today. You know, those who have to eat are certainly appropriate. If you have to eat, you should eat. Those who can fast, half a day should fast half a day till about 12 o'clock. That's also appropriate. And also I thought it would be appropriate to give out these Maginavit Outdoor, which is the red the equivalent of the ambulance system in Israel, the Red Cross in Israel. And it's uh, certainly a very good and very important charity. It really helps out that really needs a lot of support nowadays that unfortunately being in use. So if you'd like to take one of these home, certainly do so. And, and then there's a listing over here as to who will pick up the, the canister. And we were helping. So either way, it's appropriate to take if you'd like to take it home. And you know, if you're fasting the whole day. Yes. Okay? If and in some synagogues, if in fact they have a million people that are fasting, what they do is they take out a set of Torah and they read from Vayahal Moshe, which is a regular fasting. Then you have to have It's difficult. Not everybody can fast. If it's a half a day or a whole day, whatever it may be, it's appropriate. And whatever we could do. And um, hopefully we'll achieve some kind of salvation by virtue of this spiritual effort. Okay, last time we had spoken about three distinct issues. First, we spoke about the nature of the holiday itself of Passover as an orientating event. We explained why it's the most important holiday in the Jewish calendar. It is the framework by which we define all of our life experiences, how we treat others, how we view ourselves. It becomes the bedrock upon which all of Jewish values stand or fall. <clears throat> and often that the Torah itself, we'll see that you should love the stranger, for example. Things like this. Why? Because you were a stranger in the land of Egypt. Everything goes back to that feeling, that experience that we had in the land of Egypt. Do not pervert justice. Why not? Because you were the victim of injustice when you are in the land of Egypt, do not harm the innocent members of society, the widow, the orphan, the stranger, because you also were the underprivileged members of society in Egypt. Therefore, you know how it feels, you know what it's like, and one should not do this to somebody else, clearly. As well, Torah tells us, when you go out into the field to bring in your harvest, and you forget something. You forgot a few grains or a few stalks of wheat. Leave it there for the poor person. You go out to pick your grapes from your vineyard. Leave something. Don't denude the tree completely. Or in your olive grove. Why? Because you know what it's like to be hungry. Torah, I to see you. Welcome. Torah wants you to empathize so strongly with the underprivileged members of society. That tells you, remember that experience you had in Egypt. Vicariously experience it once again. On Passover, you should feel the pain that a poverty-stricken, hungry person would feel, and therefore we want to respond to that person's needs. We eat our food. Our bread is the bread of affliction. The matzah is not rise. There's no time. The poor person has no time to allow it to rise. He's too hungry. He has to eat right away. So therefore, eat immediately. By contrast, hamed is the bread of the rich in those days, going back 3,000 years. The rich could afford to wait and have the bread rise. And therefore, we on Pesach do not allow any kind of hamet in our home. Even a grain, even mashu, on Hale Pesach, 
nullifies whatever. There's no concept of bitul. Bitul means to nullify. Ordinarily, of course, you all know on kashrut, I can, not intentionally, but if I happen to mix in some kind of good old pig's fat, right, into my big stew, but if I only do a little bit and I have 60 times that pig's fat, it's nullified. It's not there. It vanishes. It just disappears. Halakhli. So you can eat that. Bitul works. But on Pesach, Bitul does not work. There's no nullification on Pesach. On Passover, even Masha, a smallest grain in my hugest pot. If I see it, of course. Yes. Nullified, correct. So, Pesach is this overwhelmingly intense holiday which serves as the basis for all of our values. And we try to analogize this to a honeymoon, to a wedding, all of that we discussed. Second issue that we spoke about is the question of the lists, which is something that has significant that has to be addressed. We all are subject to lists on the holiday Passover, and we could choose not to be involved with lists whatsoever, or we could choose to make our lives easier, and in fact, go by one, two, or three of the various lists that are offered. What are the four lists that we have? One is we have a list of the JSOR. What is the list all about? It means that these items lists were checked out, were investigated to every degree, and these items are kosher. Based on one halakhic principle, another halakhic principle, but maybe these items are kosher. Good. That's the JSO list. We also have, which no longer is with us, I think, hasn't been done, Rabbi Harari had put out a list a few years ago, and the halakhic principles are interested involved involved this list. What are the principles? Ashkazim are not allowed to eat rice or kitniot or legumes. We sadim are. Corn is viewed as a kidney or it is viewed as a kind of uh, issue that Ashkenazim do not eat. And therefore, corn syrup they cannot eat. Many, many, many foods have corn syrup, which would be forbidden for Ashkenazim, but allowed to Faradim. The Harari worked with the OU two years ago, three years ago, whatever it was, and they had a list of those foods that had corn syrup and are really kosher for Passover for Sadim, not for Ashkenazim. That's based on good halakha, good investigation. That would be a legitimate point. So many OU foods you could eat as long as you know that it's only an issue of corn syrup which we're allowed, Ashkenazim are not allowed. Good. Certainly as well, there are, there is rabbi, very famous rabbi advantage list which is kosher.org, I think on the internet. I think it's called kosher.org. Is that what anybody looked it up yet? Those who not use the internet? I'm oh, sorry. Okay, kashrut. Thank you. Thank you. Kashrut.org and he has an acceptable, and again, this list has been extensively researched. Whatever's on the list is kosher. I would eat it. It's in my house. I think. I don't know if anybody does it. I don't, I don't know if she owns it, but I hold by it. <laughs> Only spotted. Correct. <laughs> Correct. Rabbi Abaz's name is for Saradim, not for Ashkenazim. All right, tell you both? Okay. Oh, really? Okay, good. <laughs> If the kosher, if Rabbi Barry said the kosher on Pesach, the chances are the kosher all year round. Lobster, pig, I mean, you know, that, then you're right. Oh, they're all kosher? Are they? Wait, wait, wait. That, that you don't know. They have no hashkacha. I happen to have spoken to a mashkiach about two days ago. Interesting. Somebody called me about Haste Salsa. Haste Company, which is a branch of Campbell's, has a kind of salsa, and I talked to Mashiach for half an hour about, he checks half moon, okay, good, not good, he went through the whole line yard, and in certain cases they have a special run on special items. I asked somebody, they said, that's Haskies, oh, I asked a candy person, the person that sells candy, 
right? Not kosher candy, yes. And he, he said that Paskis, for example, has a tzatziro. It's the same tzatziro. They just do it through a kosher run. Or in other words, same with the same as they just rent out the place without kosher. They rent out the place for one day every six months or three months, and they produce tzatziro. So he said that really... Sorry? Has their name on it, correct. What makes one Tootsie Roll uh, Just the mashkia. No, it depends, well, it depends on the... No, nothing. Um, what I'm saying is that Tootsie Roll, therefore, is kosher. Yeah. It just that doesn't have a hashkacha. Paskis puts a hashkacha on it, so that it's the same exact Tootsie Roll. Okay. Now, you're... Is it Paskis in Brooklyn? No, 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 Paskis, the name of a oh, company. Paskies. And you're telling me now that Rabbi Abadia said that the Tootsie Roll is... I didn't see it. I didn't know the list, so I didn't see it. You have to... You have to be very careful. Make sure that... Because so it is. So Rebati checks into all these items. He looks at it. He analyzes it. He investigates it. And I want to emphasize that Rebati is not Joe down the street. <laughs> he really is heavily involved and has been in the Kashrut world for 20, 25 years. He knows the government regulations. He knows the laws. He knows the halakha, of course, and all that. So if he does kosher, it's kosher. Now, next point is, however, is a very large however, right? You may choose for one of two reasons not to use any of these lists. What may be the two reasons? First reason isn't psychological. We're talking, I spoke about this about 10 years ago. And he says, I want to create a different atmosphere in my home, in my family, for the holiday Pesach. It's true, it's going to cost me 20 or 30 or 40 dollars more. But a small potatoes compared to what I spent on food the whole entire year. Sorry? That's 10 years ago. And, and maybe you want to pick and choose. Maybe you don't want to let your children go out and buy Hershey's chocolate in the candy store. Maybe you want to create, your job on Passover is to create an environment, an experience for your family to really feel the impact of Pesach. Now to do so, it may be more expensive, whatever the case may be, but it, the impact is worth it. So for a psychological reason. But that is not discounting the psychological reason. I think the psychological reason is wrong. He's saying, look, I'm just here to tell you what in fact, I, what in fact is kosher, not kosher. I'm a scientist. I'm analyzing it. This is the answer to your question. Is this kosher? Yes. Is it kosher? No. So that's objective truth. Period. But you may choose not to use this list because you may want to create that kind of atmosphere, that kind of environment in a home that impacts upon the person. Respectable position. Psychological reasons on Pesach are without question important in order to create that impact. Hi. Welcome. Good to see you. So that certainly is appropriate. Or you may have another reason. Your other reason may be, because I may be having guests in my home that don't hold by one of the lists. Now, that's a very, very ticklish, sticky kind of issue. That's true not only really on Pesach. It's true throughout the year. What do you hold by in terms of your kashrut standard? Let's say, for example, you hold by the OU. They don't hold by the OU. So am I obligated to tell whoever comes to my home I hold by the OU, the K and the KVH, and not five other lists. That's a very difficult situation. Are you going to ask your guests, who's your mashkia, who's your rabbi, who's your... This becomes a serious issue. So it is a year-round kind of issue. What are your standards? Let's say you um, inappropriately hold that every K on a container is kosher. That's inappropriate because K we know is not a, a good standard because it doesn't have any halakhic backing to it. So once you're not by hold by K's. I recall once how um, planters' peanuts always had a OU. They switched to K in some of their brands. And then they went back to OU, I've just noticed a couple of years ago. Not all the products, some, yes, some, no. Why did they go back and forth? 
standards are different with the K. The K could be a conservative. We don't know who the K is. The K could be okay. Okay, something else, actually. The K could be good, right? The K could be fine. Depends on who the rabbi is that's giving you, giving them the K, giving you the authority, teaching that food. I think Coca-Cola has a K on it. Or Pepsi, one of those two have a K. Okay, but I've called up the Mashkiach, Rabbi Chalap, and he's fine, he's legitimate, this is kosher, it's kosher. But you have to know who the K is, you have to do the research. So too the half-moon K. Some of the half-moon K products are fine, wonderful, I've called up. Some of them are not so fine and wonderful. So you really have to know who the Mashkiach is. It's a place all over the country that have a K. Do you have a problem with that? So I would suggest you have to really uh, call every three or four or five or six months, number one point. Uh, if you don't do that, then you'll run into that trouble. I agree. Number two is all, it's also true, and Rabbi Badi said this point number in the time, that it's so difficult to change ingredients in these products. Rabbi knows that. He said it's easy to change the constitution to change the ingredients in a product. Tootsie Roll is not going to change its ingredients. Remember what happened with cola when, when they changed the ingredients? It was a huge outcry. So it's very, very rare that they change their ingredients. So, but again, I would still recommend you call every six months. It happened, uh, I think it was Paul Newman's uh, uh, salad dressing, or tomato sauce. I think it was tomato sauce he made. Oh, it's tomato sauce, what do you mean? Makes both now? And he's the, right. And he's the half moon K. He has the half moon K. I called up, I found out as much as was. I called him up, I spoke to him again, Rabbi Perlau, I think it was. And I was convinced by him that he's what Otak knows what he's doing. Mashkiach, the TMD, and everything else. It's fine. He called me back about four years later saying, I'm leaving this Hashkacha. Why is he leaving? Don't say anything. So now, again, one has to find out who the Mashkiach is, and is it legitimate? The half moon K is trying to clean up its act. Rabbi Sharfman, Rabbi Sharfman, a dozen years ago, saying that we just grew so big, we were there before the OU, we spoiled, I don't have really control over the Mashkiach team, I do the best I can wasn't satisfactory answers. But hopefully he's now, he's not, he's passed away, so his son is doing much better and trying to clean up the act. The rabbi spoke to him who does about 40 hashkachot for the half. He says, mine are good. These are good. But not all of them can you trust. Others simply don't have good control. What does one do? It's a question of how can you visit a factory, etc. Uh, the Triangle K, also, the rabbi Ralbag, it was always problematic for many, many years. Rabbi Rabbah, firstly, is a, is a Shemir Mitzvot person, but when you deal with Hashgachot, a lot of it's a judgment call. Meaning, how often do I have to visit a factory of uh, water producing? So he might say, once in five years. Water doesn't change. Others may say, no, once every day. How often do you visit? And how much they, can they change a product? This rabbi over here was very, very, very good. I spoke to you yesterday. said he visits this, this uh, paste salsa once every five months. He knows when they do their runs. He knows when they do their food production. So he's on top of things. He knows that's what he has to know. Not every mashkiach is that conscientious. So there are difficult questions about it. But the triangle K now, I understand, is 100%. His son has taken over. His son is uh, very, very on the ball. He's about to tell yeshiva. So I don't have a problem with triangle K. Yeah, I don't have a problem with triangle K. We had found out that it's appropriate. So these are, there are general questions that are difficult that one has to raise regarding all of these hashgachot. Good. So the food list caused a problem, A, for the psychological aspects of it. One should be concerned about psychology when one speaks about food in general, and specifically over here. Please. Salsa with a half moon K. Not all, you have to make sure. I'm being very careful. The one that has a half moon K that is produced in Paris, Texas. 
I told them it was Paris you want to go visit. It's the wrong Paris. Paris, Texas. It's a division of Campbell. That half moon K I looked into and it's fine. Not all half moon Ks, nor are all the salsas kosher. The other one is not, not the Pesach. I'm talking about regular kashrut. Please be aware of that. Thank you, Carol, for that insight. As well, you have this difficult issue of telling people that I follow whoever's list you're following. Whether it's JSOR, whether it's Rabbi Vadi, Whoever you are following, you have to you tell your guests. Now, if the guests trust you no matter what, that's all your guests. It depends. It's a, it's a good question. It's really a very good question. How to deal with that kind of very sticky situation. You may find at night of Pesach, it's half your table leaves. Because we don't follow that particular list of yours. So maybe it's right to tell them in advance. If you decide that Rabbi Vazis is fine for you, you know, again, and I, I think all the items that he endorses are kosher Passover without a question, and the psychology is not a problem for you, and you want to use his list and serve, I, I don't see the list, but I guess Hershey chocolate I think he has on it. So if he does, yes? Michelle, Mr. Sugar, do I know this? Hershey chocolate's okay? Hershey kisses? Oh, too shy, yeah. I love chocolate, though. But I'm trying to stop. It's not easy for me. And we're a patch for it and all that. Can't get through it. I'm a chocolate person. But I am trying to help. And Lynn is helping me, right? Right. I know. I try. I try. So in any case, if you want to serve it at the end, and rather than uh, shock your guests, tell them in advance you follow about his list. There's no question about it. But if you don't feel comfortable with it, either I'll cook differently for you or other things. <coughs> Sorry? Exactly. Just right. Now, the third issue that one has to be aware of is the Torah itself <coughs> serves as our basis on Shemot Yudbet, the 12th chapter of the book of Exodus. You have the outline of what we're allowed and not allowed to do, which is found in your Homashim. Yudbet, Perth Yudbet, which is 135. And here, I don't want to repeat all that we've done, but here you basically have the mitzvot that are involved, that you have to be aware of on the holiday of Pesach. Number one, you have to eat matzot. Good. Now, of course, Torah Shabbat Peh, the oral law, discusses that issue. How much you have to eat? One ounce. When? On the night of the 15th and 16th. Two sedarim. The rest of the holiday, I'm not obligated to eat matzah whatsoever. Only obligated on those two nights to eat. And how much I have to eat? Good. First mitzvot, haseb. One must eat matzah on the holiday of Pesach on the first two nights. Good. Number two, we're also obligated, positive command, to destroy the hametz in our homes. Tashbitu. We discussed what tashbitu really means. Psychological destruction as opposed to physical destruction. We end up doing physical, even though psychological is really preferable because it's really changing your whole mode of thinking. That whatever hametz comes into my home at that particular point in time, I see it as an abomination. To change my head to that degree is not easy for everybody, and therefore the rabbis have said that what one can do over here, Tashbitu, is to destroy the Hamed physically, we burn it, and that's the end of that matter. And of course, we also, in fact, try to engage the mitzvah of Tashbitu on the verbal psychological level by saying Kar Hamira. We say it in a language that we understand. Kar Hamira Hamira. Any kind of Hamed that that's in my possession, that I've seen, that I've not seen, it is, to me, at this point, dirt. So if I see any hametz in my house, the rye bread in the saktor, right, that the kids put there, right, that are there, or the crumb cake, 
that I see, straight from cake, it has a triangle cake, it has, right? So that, it's only dirt. It's nothing more. It's not anything terrible, it's dirt. Now, if one convinces oneself that all Hamid is dirt, and psychologically you approach it from that point of view, then just throw it away, or put it on the side, etc., and you leave it there till after the holiday, so how did you find it? Otherwise, you just throw it away because it's dirt for you. It's nothing more dirt. So that, the tool of Hametz, relates to sort of destroy Hamed psychologically and of course we do it physically as well. Good. But also, besides the Mitzvah Tashbitu, we also have two other interesting halachot, Bargit Ebani Matzah. One is not allowed to have in one's possession Hamed at all. Therefore, I have to get rid of all my heads. So I want you to get rid of all your Hamed. Don't have it in your possession. If I have too much Hamed that I cannot get rid of, Rabbis have, 2,000 years ago, had a legal loophole, which is, you give the rabbi the power of attorney, and he goes ahead and he sells your hametz to a non-Jew, and that non-Jew owns your hametz. We do the sale, it's a bona fide sale, we get money for it, the whole Megillah, the wrong holiday, but it's the rabbinic sorry. Purim, Megillah, pass, women, humor. Got it? Good. The whole story. The whole story. So we sell it in one fashion. In other words, we do four different types of kinyan, of he acquiring that hametz. And he pays us for it. After Passover, we buy it back from him. The rabbis understood that not ever get rid of all the hametz. Now originally, presumably, this legal loophole was intended for people that have commercial establishments. I own a candy store. Go to my hametz. I own, uh, say, Conway, I have 60, 70 stores. And they have, they sell hametz. What do they do? They sell the hametz. Good. It was not necessarily intended for a private person to sell every little Cheerio that they have left over. I would recommend only closed boxes that are sellable, that people will buy from, but not every single little tiny bit. Get rid of your hametz. Root out your hametz. Destroy your hametz. Get rid of it. And only those boxes that are sellable, somebody wants to buy. A half a bottle of ketchup, nobody wants to buy. Get rid of it. So, we do in fact sell our hametz because we cannot allow to have it in our possession. We don't want to see it. Okay, I'm not happy with selling whole houses. Because then, because that sort of, although, right, but are you really selling your whole house? <laughs> now we're getting on the right same page. Correct, right, that's shell. So um, there, there are those who do, okay, then you sell your hametz, fine. You should, de- the de- there's two points. There should be, de- there should be a general bedika, without a beracha, before you leave. There should be a general kind of cleaning. No, the place that I'm going to Pesach, I should do a regular bedika, with a beracha on the night of the 14th, that evening, next Tuesday night. Tuesday night. You do regular bedika hamet, the official one. But, two weeks. Yes, sorry, two weeks. I just want to get you guys ready. It's right around the corner. Our anxiety just spikes. <laughs> I know, it's right. So, a general cleaning. Put all the hametz in one place. It's generally appropriate to do that. One doesn't have to do that, but it's appropriate to do that. And put all the hametz in one place. That if a non-Jew comes along and wants to buy your hametz, you can do some. This year I'm sending them to your house. This time. Okay, right, it's, and it's covered, it's away. You could, by the way, if you're selling your hametz, let's say you're selling your hametz, right? It's not yours any longer. So the pasuka tells me don't have it in your house, in your possession. It's not my possession, it's not mine. A non-Jew can have hametz, his hametz, in your house. That's not the isur. The isur is you owning it. So let's say you sold your hametz, let's say you have frozen goods, 
that you're selling. You could put it in a certain shelf in your freezer and cover it up with a big H-A-M-E-T-Z, beware, dog will bite, something like that, to make sure that you don't accidentally go ahead and take it, or your children don't ahead and take it. So you can do that. Some people will only sell not mamash hametz, not real hametz. They only want to sell tarovet hametz. We'll get to tarovet in a second. Others will actually sell hametz. It's not yours any longer. You could have a, you know, uh, a whole loaf of rye, but it's not yours. We really do, in fact, sell the hametz. So if you want to have rye bread in your house, you can have rye bread in your house. But it's not your rye bread. It's a non-Jewish, Levi's real Jewish rye bread. So it's not yours. So you can have that. But again, there are those who want to say, I don't want to even have it in my house whatsoever. I don't want to even cover up in my house. So I'm only going to sell my tarot house by mixtures of hametz. Things that I've, that are, that I'm not sure about or that have tarot with hametz. Okay? Yeah, in the mornings I'm here. Yeah, in the mornings. Sunday mornings from 9 till 12 I'm always here. 9 till 1. And then from 5 till 8, I'm here, 5 to 7. So I'm usually early morning till 12 o'clock in the afternoon. Okay. Today also. Anytime. Say legal contract. You're giving me power of attorney. I'm selling it on Tuesday or Wednesday morning at 9 o'clock, let's say. Yeah, so you could use it. Yes, absolutely. Okay, you could. Yeah. It's, you're only giving me power of attorney to sell. So we're going to sell at the last moments, 9, 30, 10 o'clock, whatever. It's power of attorney. You don't have to. Okay, what? Not yet. Not yet. You don't have it right here. I don't want to confuse apples and oranges. Dealing with food. You have to give me power of attorney. Yes, I have to give you power of attorney. By, by filling out a form or by giving me a, an item or holding my pen. Yeah, that gives power of attorney. Good. So now, not only is Hametz, of course, prohibited in its actual form, the rye bread, but even the Tarovit Hametz as well, the mixture. Apasuk tells us as well, that a tarot, a mixture of hametz also is prohibited. What is hametz? Five grains. Wheat, oats, spelt, barley, and rye. These five grains are what produce hametz. Other grains, rice, millet, does not produce hametz. Those are not problems. Now, people have been so concerned about these issues that they've gone to different levels or different extremes. Not necessarily better. I'm not saying they're better. But different extremes, such as, in one famous one, Syrians... Do not eat hummus, chickpeas, because it sounds like hamas. And that does make people laugh. That's true. But many Sorry? Yes. So it goes to different extremes. But wait, wait. We say we don't. I do. Oh, okay. So I do. I do have that hummus because it's not a problem. Because it's, it's, some communities, and some communities don't have tomatoes. Because they used to dry tomatoes with, with flour. So they would... Uh, some people would grow their fish in their bathtubs because they didn't want to not feed them hamets beforehand. So they would feed them non hamets in their bathtubs and they have these huge carps that they made their uh, whatever they eat. So there are extremes. There are various extremes that people are involved in. And some people, some people will not even buy any processed food. When I spoke to a Hamza the Fool, let's say about it was 20 years ago, <coughs> he buys no processed food. It's only fresh fruit, fresh vegetables. Uh, he makes his own orange juice. Sorry? Yeah, that was 20, I told him 20 years ago. He would trust nobody. Pesach for everybody is a very intense holiday and therefore only that which he was 100% certain. No processed food, never long in any OUs, he goes his own route. Fine. One has a right to, to engage. One has to know the law. 
and one has to do the law, but one has, one wants to go beyond the law, then certainly that's appropriate as well. Although, it's interesting because it's, this Isur, this prohibition is a Deoraita, from the Torah, as all other Deoraitas. So we follow them all. Whatever we follow, we follow. Why would be more Mahmid over here? It's interesting. Yes, this is, uh, okay, good. I buy that. Yeah, one has a right to try to do that psychologically. Good. So now, we finished our issue of lists. We finished our issue of the six mitzvot that have to do with Pesach, which is not eating actual hamet, eating ta'arobat hamet, a mixture of hamet, no matter what the mixture, how the mixture actually is, hamet uh, mamash, and not to have in our possessions whatsoever. So all of that has to do with the basic categories of hamet. We on the same page? Right. Clear? Good. Let's talk about, I want to come uh, to the seder, how to run a really wonderful seder, but um, prior to that, let's talk about your kitchen. Okay? Generally speaking, we have the obligation of cleaning the house, as you well know, and we've already begun, hopefully. Any uh, transgressors here? You didn't begin yet? I don't know if my wife began. She didn't even talk yet. Oh, did she? Uh, what? How to clean? Okay, good. So we'll get, we'll get to that. That's good. Okay, good. Uh, let's talk a little bit about culturing a home and then a kitchen. Right, that is of great relevance. Now, we'll hopefully, if we have the time, we'll get to the subject. How does one culture a home? You clean it. You go to all the places that Hamet could have been placed. It does not mean that I scrub my walls or I scrub my ceilings or the attic. I've never been to my attic. That's not the issue. The issue, and this is Shohan which says any place that Hamet could be, my playroom, your computer room, your living room, your kitchen, your sock drawer. That's what kids put Hamet in. I know my kids are sock people. So you always find something in the sock drawer. The sofa. Pockets. Pockets, right. Pockets. Check your pockets. Maybe Hamet's in your pocket. Go through all those, uh, you know, suits and your husband's suits. All that might be. Your cars. Your trunks. Your uh, dashboard. Your glove compartment. Wherever there might have been placed Hamet, you want to, of course, clean those areas. You'd be surprised what you find where you find it. Uh, basement. If you use, if your basement is not used for at all, no finished basement, you don't have to check your basement. But if your basement is used as a finished basement, then that should be checked. Alright, so all that's the first basic rule. Now we come to the next and the more difficult area of kosher, which is the kitchen. Now, here as well, let's talk about first the general broader kitchen, and then we'll come back to the specific utensils. Right? Broader kitchen. Let's take your table, for example. Now, the general rule in Kashrut is, as it absorbs, so it deabsorbs. What does that mean? It means, and it's true again of utensils or of a countertop, whatever it may be, is that if something absorbs through the medium of heat, and heat is what absorbs it, then it's going to deabsorb once again when it's exposed to the medium of heat. But we don't eat off of our tables. So there's not going to be any deabsorption. Even the absorption is questionable. Why? Because so if I spilled some, let's say, um, soup on my table, it's been cleaned, it hasn't been used 24 hours, we don't eat from it directly, not really a problem. Nevertheless, we do want to be careful. And there are those who would, and it's appropriate, would place a tablecloth on it, and then that's fine. That's fine, no problem, tablecloth, then what you have to do. Let's say you don't want to put a tablecloth on it. Then we would go through the process of pilita, or deabsorption, how? Very simply, I poured boiling water over the countertop or over the tabletop, and that koshers it. Right? You don't have to worry about it, but on Passover, we do in fact, the rabbis do encourage one to try to do more just to make sure. 
but again, your point's well taken. Now, besides the notion of, as it, did you get the stove yet? Did not get the stove top yet? Going systematically, right? Trying to. Run the table. In the same way that when you, that the principle of, as it absorbs, so it deabsorbs, so too the principle of 24 hours is a very important principle in Kashrut. What does that mean? It means that there are two problems in Kashrut. One problem is actual food stuff. The pig that you served on Tuesday, right? That's a problem. But besides the pig you served on Tuesday, we're concerned also about the taste of that particular item. What does taste mean? I don't mean how it tastes. I mean that when it's cooked, it absorbs the, your roasters absorb the molecules of the pig. It absorbs. We all know that chemistry-wise, there's an interaction of molecules. So it happens. Molecules interact. This is not really solid. This is really a bunch of molecules, atoms actually, atoms, that are floating around. It's not solid. It seems solid. There's a lot of atoms over here. But there's really an interpenetration. When I go like this, I am penetrating this table in some fashion, to some degree of depth. You can't see it, but it's really happening. If I took some hot water over here and poured it on the table, there would be a penetration of molecules, well, the molecule H2O, into this table. And if I poured my pig soup over here, right, it would end up in this table. Now, so, on the other hand, that will deabsorb. It will deabsorb if one would pour hot water on this. There will be another interpenetration of molecules or put a hot, hot plate, a hot uh, pot on this. On the other hand, third hand, once you keep in mind, that the rallies have determined after numerous experiments that after 24 hours, whatever deabsorbed is such a weak taste and so non-existent, it's not a problem to worry about. Right? In other words, the rabbit did the following experiment. Took some water. They boiled it. This goes back 2,000 years. They boiled the water. Fine. Water's clean. Everything's clean. The pot, pot's clean. Fine. Then took some green grass and they mixed it in with this boiling water and then they had green water. Good. And they threw out that green water and they boiled some clean water. And guess what happened to that clean water? It became green. So the rabbis, without even really knowing it, understood that there's something going on between the, the pot and the water. They threw it again. Every hour they threw it again. And they still had green, 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 green. Until they had 24 hours later, they ended up again. It was such a light green that it was nothing. So after 24 hours, any taste that may come out of a pot that one is using is no longer a problem. Not a problem. It's cut out shawot. On the other hand, the same thing in a clay or ceramic pot. And they found that as much as they had boiled the water, it was still emitting, deabsorbing green. So they said, in cancer conclusion, that you can never really fully clean a clay or ceramic pot. It cannot be kosher, it cannot be clean. It always is going to deabsorb. It's so porous. On the other hand, when they tried to greenize a glass utensil, they found they could never get it water come out green. Why not? We know why not. Because glass is non-porous, doesn't absorb, therefore there's no concern with deabsorption. Right? So these are basic principles we want to keep in mind. And we'll see how it plays a role in Kashrut in a few moments. So these are rabbits of the Talmud and, and ongoing. Later on, this was the original principles that were, that established Kashrut. This is Kashrut, not even Kashrut, this is Kashrut. 
And then Ashkenazim came away with different local custom variations, did different things over the course of a thousand years. Talking, yeah. They were more. They were, they were more stringent, they were more stringent for some areas. Another third principle, which is relevant over here, is that we say that what's not kosher is only that which is edible. Right? So edible. So now if I'm cleaning my utensil in my sink and I'm pouring soap all over it, that makes any food that was not kosher or, let's say milk items or meat items, Whatever was not kosher there is now not any longer edible. Why? Because it's soapized. Right? It's made of it's all full of soap. So that can so if I now put another utensil in that soap uh, milk concoction, it's not gonna make that meat dish into a milk dish. I'm not gonna trace it up. Why not? Because it's Tom Pagum, it's a um it's a negative taste. So anything like that. So therefore Spadim only have one sink. It's only two sinks. Because it's you're always putting soap there. Um there, the, there would be Sfaradim, there would, there are Sfaradim who would allow you to clean both milk and meat together because it's all soap kind of a context. We don't prefer it. We like to keep a separation. The rabbis are more concerned about keeping separation because once you start violating that line, it's a slippery slope, right? That's what we're concerned about. So the rabbis would generally like to have, not necessarily, my in have two dishwashers, Ashkenazim, they have two dishwashers. But we have one and we would use it only for milk and cycles, right? Right. So that's appropriate. But again, Ashkazim in many ways have become more stringent in certain fashion. Well, they, but they have their rabbis, and I wouldn't, uh, you know, I wouldn't question their rabbis. Their rabbis want to be more Mahmoud and Kashrut, and they want to be more Mahmoud and That's fine. Whatever they want to do. Right, so, uh, good. Good question. Excellent question. As new materials were developed, through the centuries, rabbis had to investigate, analyze, and see, is stainless steel porous or not porous? The prevailing wisdom is that it is, and therefore we do kosher them. I haven't heard or read, with one exception to that one opinion, that says stainless steel is not porous. One opinion I've read that said it's not porous, and, and it's, it's simply a scientific experiment. Get some grass, mix it up, let me know what happens. It's that simple. Okay, she will. Well, well. We're going to come to that. Give me one more minute. Come to that. Oh, okay. Oh, right. Uh, I don't know how hot a dishwasher gets. Most post-game would say that they want regular cash, regular kosher in this bike, whatever, how hot does it get to boiling? Boiling water? Okay, could be. I don't know. So that's what, that has to be... Ashkenazim do, we don't. Ashkenazim gets separate trays, we don't. Because again, it's always been soapized, it's always been kosher in between, it's, it's all soap. It's all, it's all been soap. So it's not, it can't be perfect. Yeah, it goes that, right. Kosher dishwasher is not a problem, that's simple, yeah. We're gonna get to that part yet. Different question, that's, that's another issue, correct. Okay, so now, so your countertops should be covered, Ashkenazim will cover it with tin foil, you could use a tablecloth, or not covered at all. Sorry? You don't do that any longer? You don't? Oh, do they? What do they use now? What is it covered? What? A, a, a contact paper kind of plastic? And how does it stick? Right. How does it stick? I mean, it sticks. How does it, 
It sits there. So it's not like a tablecloth that falls over. Right. Okay, so that's people use now. Thank you for that insight. But again, of what? This type of material? Plastic? Well, correct. Okay, good. So this is just an extra stringency. Right. You don't have to do that. It's again, it is psychological. It is true. It is true that psychologically, if you walk into a kitchen that has been Ashkenazically, are there any adverbs in the Ashkenazic world? Wait, 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 right, right. You don't need more than that. But there is a psychological component factor over here that if you've gone into a kitchen that has been Ashkenazically koshered, which means every tabletop, every counter, everything is children, everything is covered, that's a different effect. If you want to impact upon your kids at this Pesach, it feels like, feels like, psychologically, Pesach. One does not have to do that. So, you're changing your washing board, you're changing your cutting board, you're changing everything. Pesach could either be the same as Monday through Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, normatively, or it could really have a deep psychological effect on the people. So, you depends what you want to do. Ashkenazim have been often enough into the, psycho, into the psychological aspects of it. For example, kosher Pesach toothpaste, or soap, or things like that, one need not have that. It's not food. The criteria of food is that which a dog would eat. Most dogs don't eat toothpaste because they have, because they have uh, ca- cavities, right? So in that, right, in that church, so it's not a problem. But Ashkenazim have gone to great lengths to have kosher pesos toothpaste. And all of that, why have they done that? Because they want to create an impact upon the family. You see, taste this horrible toothpaste, you know it's Passover. The soap, everything becomes Passover. So again, when you walk into that kitchen, you know you're hit, you're struck. It's not inappropriate. It's not invalid. It's really creating a psychological difference in the home. Yeah, Michelle? Correct. I agree with you. Agreed. Okay, that's another question. That's a halakha question. I'm trying to define this question to halakha psychological. I think you're right. And those people, people should not feel pressure to do so. I would also say that Chama Vodya Yosef came out and it was 25 years ago, not more, with his Piskalchot Pesach, and he makes that point. Not to use this stuff because it's a hardship of people. Correct. Agreed. Agreed. So therefore, it should not be done. I mean, that's an interesting, that's an interesting interplay between individuals and the community. If that's at the standard, which causes hardship to people that cannot afford it, then you're right. Absolutely. And if not, not. But again, we're trying to create an experience. We're trying to create an environment. We're trying to create an event in the, your life. An event is not easily creatable. Think about if, you go, if your child's getting married, God willing, by all of us, those who are ready. You, you want to create an event called a wedding. And we take every detail, from the flowers to the uh, decor to the music, every detail is taken care of, and then you've created the event. Assuming you weren't that punctilious about the details of that event, just throw together any band, we don't care what you play, we don't care who the rabbi is. We don't care uh, who the groom is. Just get married. We don't care about any details about the wedding. In that situation, then it's not going to be as eventful. Right? You could be concerned about details or not. You're building a house. You build a house, you're concerned about every single detail, every single doorknob, every single hinge. Then that makes it the whole house eventful. Or you just don't really care about that sort of stuff. Whatever it is, is. So it's not really an event. It's a house that has a roof and four walls, and that's what I care about. Right? <clears throat> Definitely. It doesn't absorb. There's no heat medium, so it doesn't absorb. The kind of Amazon sheets. Yeah, so I would just clean them off, no problem. Yeah, absolutely. If it's that, 
So wait. Before we shoot questions, like we try to do systematically, but I should have been wiser. You could do that, or or get new ones, or whatever. Yes, if that's crumbs, it's a problem. Tablecloths, just be clean, just clean them. There's no problem. There's no there's no absorption, and there's no mamash uh, because they're clean. So that's all. No problem with that. There are those who will buy new tablecloths for the holiday, but we don't need to do so. Again, the principles are whatever's mamash hamet, get rid of. If it affects pans, utensils, that has to be deabsorbed. That we agree. But there's no absorption in a tablecloth. So if you just clean it, it's fine. Or dish towels, no problem. Um, <clears throat> let me come back to this uh, other part of the kitchen that I was at. So now, we either covered our table tops, or we poured boiling water over it. Although that's a humra, you don't have to do that. But we do it because that's really how we prepare for Pesach. We should do it. One or the other, either covered or poured boiling water. Well, if you, you cover it, you don't have to pour water over it, obviously. But the intent there would be to deabsorb whatever was absorbed. Even though if I don't use it for 24 hours, whatever deabsorbs is nothing. Don't worry about it. Still in all, on Pesach, we do want to show a measure more, a measure beyond of the normative. So we do more things. Now let's come to our utensils. A utensil, as we mentioned, absorbs the taste of that which is cooked in it. Right? So a utensil which absorbs hametz has absorbed the ta'am, or taste of hametz, and that taste will deabsorb the next time the pot is used, which is, again, an interchange of molecules. On the holiday festival, as the pastor told us, we are prohibited mamash hametz, of course. We're prohibited tarovit hametz, mixture hametz. We're even prohibited the taste that had been absorbed in a pot of hametz. Now, it's true that after 24 hours, whatever is deabsorbed is so um, nothing not to worry about it. Still in all, we don't rely on that. Rather, we want to kosher, actively kosher. Now, the major idea behind koshering pots and pans and things like this is as it absorbed, so too it will deabsorb. And therefore, it's going to deabsorb to the very same median that it absorbed. If it absorbed with water, I will then deabsorb it through the medium of water, which is called hag'alah, which means to boil water, and we'll describe that in a minute. Now, on the other hand, a roaster, which actually goes into the oven, and it absorbs directly on the fire, will deabsorb its hametz molecules through in the oven. So while I'm, co- theoretically or practically, when I am koshering my oven, I just put my roaster in the oven. You don't have to put water. This is a, this is more intense than simply the medium of water. And that's called libun. Libun means it becomes very intensely hot. So you're still... The ro- we're talking about a roaster. You roast it there all the time. However it absorbs, you should deabsorb it. However you absorb it, you should deabsorb it. So if you use it with water, you use it with water. And I, I answer it, it won't crack. 400 is fine. Sorry? Clean it beforehand. No, I would, I would say that it's, it's being burnt out in the oven. I mean, whatever is going to be remaining there is not going to be hametz. It's not going to be edible. It's not going to be anything. What is it going to be? It's not food. It's burnt out. Libun, the Ashkenazim, some Ashkenazim go a, to a more stringent level and they don't do libun kal. Libun kal means I put it in the oven and I put it in a piece of straw it would burn up. That's libun kal. Libun hamud means I blow towards it. When I'm koshering, Ashkenazim, I'm sure if wants it. When I'm koshering, let's say, an oven for a family, the Ashkenazim family, thank you for coming. Have a nice day. 
uh, when I'm koshering an oven, uh, fresh guys, they, they want it blow torches. They want it really kosher. When I kosher our, 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 what's it, what? What? You get a acetylene torch and you, and you, you want a certain heat. So that's Ashkenazim want. Others, self-clean is certainly appropriate. Self-clean is certainly appropriate, not a problem for that. Self-clean. Parenthetically, it's always easier just to have it outside the pot. You can have it for the next 50 years, God willing, six, seven years, give them to your kids afterwards. So why go through all this every year? It's much easier simply just to anything like that. Right. That's much easier. And I do encourage you to make it easier for yourself. Make it as easy as you can for yourself. It's, it's difficult enough. Not a problem. Use it without even koshering. Yes, correct. No problem with anything like that. The tea urns, that's not a problem. Yeah, it's, it's just used for water. Or a coffee pot that's only used with pure coffee. No problem at all. Ground, it's, it, yeah, I, I've heard that there have been problems with the process of decaffeinization. Yes, they do. You can't use it. Instant. You have to see which one is on the list. That's a very good point. I'm sorry? Yes. Yes. Right? We still want, we want to still go ahead without questions. We'll get to questions in about a few minutes. Uh, Michelle, where's Michelle? Michelle, what's happening next Wednesday? <laughs> it's fine with it's fine with me to have a class next Wednesday. Is that okay with you? Yes. Okay. So Wednesday, eleven o'clock. So, so that'll just give us less pressure right now to finish everything. <laughs> we'll be here till dinner time. Okay. Right. Right. So, um, is that what type of you? Is my wife's gonna. Is my wife's gonna do that. <laughs> but who, my my rule is whoever asks the questions should come and type them. So it's okay. No, it's okay. I don't do. So now we're talking about utensils. Utensil absorbs hymets. It has to deabsorb hymets. How do we do that? <clears throat> it's critically important. We first clean it thoroughly. Good. Check. We then wait 24 hours. Why are we waiting 24 hours? Because whatever's going to come out of the pot is going to be so weak anyway. It's not going to really be a problem whatsoever anyway. But we still want to do more on the holiday of Pesach. And therefore, what we do is, we then do Hag'alah for most pots. What does Hag'alah really mean? I take, let's say it's a small pot. Here are two examples. Small pot. Take a big pot. I fill the big pot with water. The water is boiling. Not yet for rock. Hold on to the rock. I take my small little pot. It's now cleaned. 24 hours I haven't used it. I put it into the hot boiling water. It is now deabsorbing. And whatever is deabsorbed is really not hamets anyway. So this part that I'm doing could be the Hamas and Ahmed's make a difference. Bless you. <clears throat> so I so that I've now koshered and I and I rinse it with cold water that seals their the the metal, whatever it is, and it's fine. One second, fine. Let's say it's a big pot I want to kosher. I don't have a big gur pot to put it in. Right? So what does one do? So I fill it with water and I will cover it. Covered pots of cover also have to be koshered. Not necessarily at the same time, but just put it in different points. Handles, kosher, all that, fine. Clean thoroughly, 24 hours, and then I'm boiling the water, then I put a cover. Now, it's going to, it's boiling, right? It's boiling. Then what I want to do is put a, a, a rock in it, so that it yeah, overflows in order, because I want the lips of the pot to be kosher as well. Also, whatever was going to overflow. So then it's going to overflow, and then I have my lip of the pot as well as all kosher as well. So that's how one koshers. Now, one can kosher, if you want to kosher utensils, but I would tell you again, buy a new set. It's very easy. The husband just picks it up in the basement, up, so there you go, up down five trips, 
It's done. And he gets involved. And he's really excited about Pesach because he gets involved. Call me. Tells you that call me. It's very simple. Yeah. No, because again, it's, um, it should not have been used in 24 hours. So, right. And it's not used. So whatever going into it doesn't make a difference. So it's not used. It's not used in 24 hours. Whatever's in it, whatever's coming out is not of concern to me. Clear? In fact, yes, that's the difference because whatever I'm putting in is not been used in 24 hours. So there's no milk meat taste in these utensils anyway. Yes, whatever the difference. It's all, it's all par, actually, because 24 hours really is the standard by which whatever's coming out, it's all clean thoroughly, correct? It's all not been used 24 hours. Whatever's coming out is not anything. She's waiting patiently. See you at it. Well, wait. Dishes? And use every 24 hours. <laughs> correct. But the rabbis, correct, 100%, you are technically, legally correct. There are mistakes we're concerned about, number one. Number two, the rabbis do and have established for many, many years, centuries, to have two separate sets. And especially nowadays, because it's, it's not... A... Okay, again, again, technically you absolutely can, because glass is non-absorbent, so one gives milk for meat and for pets, whatever. But again, the rabbis are not happy with this. We're not happy with this because we do and should have separate sets. You know, when we think about if you went out for dinner one less time a year, you could have another whole set of dishes and silverware and everything else. We'll build a house for you. That's all. Good. So now wait. Wait, wait, wait. No. Wait. Why? Don't answer questions. I answer questions. Pyrex. Pyrex is glass. So therefore, does not does not absorb. So therefore, one can use it. However, rabbis, again, would like you to have separate, if one can. I'm sorry? If you amortize it over the 50, 60, 70 years of your marriage. We'll get there, God willing. And wait. Okay, so wait. Wait, what? I think, I think you're right. I think there are people, there are people that will use both. I hear it. I understand it. I accept it. It does get caked on grease sometimes, which is hard to remove. I know I've stood... Okay, it's true. Okay, it's true. Agreed. Yeah, that, that's certainly appropriate. But again, I just think it's easy. If it has it on the outside, there's no problem whatsoever. If it has it on the inside, then some post scheme have a problem with it. If it has it on the inside, then that's sometimes a problem for some post schemes. You want to do that? I still want to get through, but okay, guys. That's what they all said. That's one. Okay, it's coated. Yes. Yeah. Hagalah, yeah. Yes. Hagalah. Yeah, absolutely. Wait, dip them. What do you mean by dipping them? In a mikveh? Yeah. That's talking about different issues. That's not koshering. It's a whole different world. It's all different issues. Many, many, many people confuse the mikveh Tevilah, Kilim, with koshering. One is with the two other. Different, two different issues. Two different berachot, two different issues. So I, I don't want to confuse them, that's why. Okay. So yeah, so one does in fact that it's metal. Teflon is viewed as a metal. The whole pot is metal. So it's coated with metal, Teflon, it's viewed as a pot's metal, so therefore it should be dipped in a mitvah and, and brought into the Jewish home. Unless it was made by a Jew, which they should not have to do it. Now in terms of koshering it, it's viewed as metal, therefore one would kosher it in the, the Hagalah. Well, wait, wait. Every 24 hours you're talking about, or what are we yeah, talking no, about? No, no, no. Yeah, every 24 hours. You do everything that, that you can do that with the Teflon coated pot. What do you mean? You want, I want to make it milk to meat now, or make it from Hametz to Pesach? Oh, two different things? No, but I just wonder what you're talking about. Oh, 
Right. So that's kosherable. Yes, so we'll do it in a regular fashion. A frying pot is interesting. <coughs> you know, two different things on the book about frying pots. Because frying, some people say hagalah is fine. Others say that because it absorbs directly on the fire, not always with the medium of water, right? When you cook with a frying pot, you're cooking directly on the fire without the medium of water. They would prefer that to be done in the oven as well, which I agree with because it is more absorptive. So therefore, in that, in that, in that particular case, then you could remove the handles. And again, if the handles would melt, then you wouldn't do it. You should use, use regular hag Allah. So there are folks going to say that. Yeah, that's what that's what the that's given usually. What what do you usually cook on? However it absorbs on, whatever it absorbs, it will deabsorb. So three fifty four inches. What? So, okay. Uh, one last point, then we'll call, meet again next week. Now something like that is directly on the fire, as in barbecues, right? Barbecue spits, right? That cannot be kosher through hagalah because it's directly on the fire. Therefore, how do I kosher that on the fire? Exactly, because as it absorbs, it will deabsorb, and so to the frying pans. Okay, we'll stop now, I guess. People have to leave. Thank you. And we'll see you next Wednesday at 11 o'clock. Yeah. We'll do this afternoon. Oh, by the way, we're going to have a few things. Anybody yeah. want to take one of these? Oh, I next the other couple of days. But, um, 5 o'clock. 5 o'clock. Take these if, if you would like and fill them up. And it's a very, very important course. And we're going to have some TLE meeting at 5 o'clock this afternoon for about an hour before Minhan Abit to hopefully um, pray for the salvation of Israel. Or reading at home is fine. Reading at home is fine. That's certainly appropriate. Okay, thank you for coming. My, my pleasure. My pleasure. Yeah, yeah. No, I have to, I have to bring it to you. I, I just, bring it. I'll bring it about an hour or two. About an hour or two, you'll be home? Either way. Okay. Thank you for taking these. These are very good uh, charities. Yes. Okay. No, I missed all the time. Yeah. Okay. I'm trying to finish that because I really want. I really have. That's what I want to do, but we'll see. I mean, I don't know if it's gonna. You know, it was funny. Funny about it. Into into what? Into.